This is a special episode of Decoding Fox News, and I am your host, Juliet Jeske. So this week, or at least this episode, because I do have a, I have a, I will be doing a podcast on Monday. But for this episode, I'm going to be breaking down a propagandist film known as 2000 Mules, which was produced and created by Dinesh D'Souza, a well-known conspiracy theorist on the far right. Um, so before I get into it, I want to give my credentials. This project is made possible by the Tao Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. For those folks outside of New York, CUNY stands for City University of New York. I'm a graduate of that program, not a student. And if you don't know me, I have a long history covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys, which, fun fact, most people don't know, was formed in Brooklyn, New York, which I am recording from right now. And just for regulars of this podcast, um... Odin, one of the mascots, who is an 11-month-old kitten, is currently sleeping underneath my laptop, which is on a little riser, as I record this. He's, he's right there. He just wants to say hi. So here we go. To give a little bit of background on Dinesh D'Souza, I'll just go right into it. I'll, I'll just briefly explain before I do that why I wanted to cover this. Now, there is controversy with Fox News and this film, and that Fox News is kind of trying to ignore it. And the reason why they are, I'm not really sure, but it might have to do with the fact that they got sued by Dominion Voting uh, Systems and immediately stopped talking about the big lie. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with Dominion Voting Systems, but I think just to hedge their bets, they're not, they're just not playing this up. Um, now, in contrast, One American News Network, which I've also surveyed, I did that for a project when I was in grad school, they did deep dive and heavily, heavily promote the big lie. They were sued by Dominion and they did pay out a settlement of unknown amount and they had to go on air and basically recant like, you know, probably thousands of hours worth of footage where they had promoted the big lie. They'd have entire shows dedicated to the big lie. I mean, they would, somebody would start like an opinion show and the entire show would be you know, Donald J. Trump was our president. He is our president. And that election was a lie. They had this one woman who was blonde and she had very dark eyebrows and she was gorgeous. And she would start her, I can't remember her name. And um, she doesn't work for OANN anymore. So she would get on there and she would literally just scream at the television. She'd scream at the camera about um, how the election was a fraud and you know, Donald J. Trump is our president. And we just know it. Just shut up. I mean, she was just like, that was, that was one American news network. So the fact that they caved is kind of amazing. So anyway, if you don't know Dinesh D'Souza, he uh, briefly worked for Ronald Reagan and worked for a number of various conservative think tanks. In 2014, he pleaded guilty to a campaign finance fraud violation after he used straw donors to donate in excess of the personal limit to a friend who was running for U.S. Senate in New York. He was sentenced to five years, but was pardoned by Trump in 2018. Um, this man has said and done a bunch of horrible things, from mocking the Parkland shooting survivors, and even in a book that was published in 1995, he said that people were born into slavery were treated pretty well. He's also promoted several conspiracy theories, including birtherism, 
it's just this man this is like his whole career is promoting nonsense theories and and that's it that's what he does and he makes these really bad documentary films but they have an audience because it's a very specific niche if you can get this kind of die hard i hate liberals i love anything on the right anything that's extreme you can make money, sadly. Um, so I'm going to play the first clip, which is kind of self-explanatory. I'll just describe what's going on. This is at the very beginning of the film, after they show a clip of President Biden um, talking about a program to help inform voters that is taken out of context, and they try to frame it as an admission of voter fraud, that Biden is admitting that there was widespread voter fraud, when that's not what he's doing. And this scene is Dinesh D'Souza, like, walking up to the Capitol, you know, beautiful sunny day, and he makes this insane claim. And you'll, you'll know immediately why it's totally nuts. The left's claim that this was the most secure election is also the foundation for the widespread censorship on social media of the so-called big lie. This morning, President Trump waking up without his favorite megaphone. You will never again see a tweet from President Trump. But... Is it a big lie? Is it a lie at all? Okay, there's a lot of dramatic mu music in this movie. Like a lot of that generic dramatic music. A lot of it. So just get, brace yourself. So obviously you can hear what's wrong with that clip. So he's claiming that President Trump was just kicked off Twitter for promoting the big lie, not fomenting a violent insurrection on his own government. Hey! Because that's what Trump actually did. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, the fun gets started from the very beginning uh, with this movie. Uh, it's just that's the kind of film this is. So uh, the next clip I'm going to show you is it needs a little bit of explanation. The next part that I want to include is he talks about his podcast. So Dinesh D'Souza has this podcast uh, that's produced and distributed by a company called Salem Media Group. And they are going to get a bunch of their personalities on camera. You're going to hear a few of them talk um, because they put $1.5 to make this film and $3 million to market it. And there's not much to this film. It's mostly people sitting around a table talking and nodding their heads like, oh, wow. A lot of this movie is that. So... Um, and some, I wish I could show you this movie, but due to copyright reasons, it would be very tricky to put this on YouTube. Um, so I can't do that, but I can describe it as best I can. Um, so I'm just going to play the next uh, clip. And then, again, it's they're pretty self-explanatory clips. I don't have to give too much away. Hey, I'm Dinesh D'Souza, and this is season one, episode one of my new podcast. I started my podcast in early 2021 to speak the truth. But by simply asking questions about election fraud, you get booted from YouTube and Facebook. My podcast is sponsored by Salem Media, and I knew that other Salem hosts felt my frustration. So I thought that clip was hilarious because if you could see it, it he walks into this room and has like a desk and a whole crew around him when he does this podcast. There's like a whole crew of people like, hey, Dinesh, what's up? As he comes in, he smiles. And there's like a camera person. And there's audio people. And I just sort of chuckle because my podcast is me talking into an old microphone on a two-year-old laptop with a cat 
sitting underneath my laptop. So I just thought that was funny and thought I would share that with you. Um, maybe you think it's funny, maybe not. I don't know, but that's how this thing starts. And then he's gonna show you the cavalcade of ghouls, of right-wing ghouls. And if you follow politics at all, you will know who these people are. And briefly, I wanna say this again, this podcast, if you're new to it, if you don't know who I am, and, and somebody just sent you this link. I make this for the friends, relatives, uh, co-workers, neighbors, acquaintances of Fox diehards. I do not think for a moment that Fox diehards are going to be swayed by anything I produce. But I would love to empower you, my audience, to at least know what you're being fed when your Fox friends start trying to preach to you is complete and utter nonsense. And so <laughs> most of the time. So that's the purpose of my channel, the purpose of this project. So that's just a little bit of background on me since I didn't give that in the intro. So just for now, but we're, we're about to meet a bunch of ghouls, which again, if you follow politics, you'll know these, these names pretty quickly. Larry Elder. Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Sebastian Gorka, Charlie Kirk. There's zero reason why these people are in this film other than to promote their shows from Salem Media. I mean, there's no reason. They have nothing to do with the core conspiracy. They really don't add anything to the film other than to go, oh my goodness, what? This is outrageous. And they try to act like they're convinced from the first scene until the last scene, which by the way, you can tell is filmed in the same day because it's just obvious. They're like wearing the same outfits. They're like in the same, I mean, they're in the same set. So basically they're in this room of like leather, you know, chairs and green walls. And it, you know, looks very, very posh, very blue blood. And they sit around and they're like, oh my goodness. And it, like Dennis Prager, who runs PragerU, which is like this far right libertarian website, is the one like skeptic. They've like made these little characters for themselves. And he's like, I don't know, I'm not convinced. And then we see the film and then they come back at the end and they're like, wow, you really convinced us, Dinesh D'Souza. It's so cornball. So this next clip is uh, a man named uh, Sebastian Gorka, who is, um, he's European. He's had ties to white nationalist group, which he's denied. But he did briefly work with the Trump administration, and now he just says outrageous things on a podcast. He's kind of an awful human being. So I'm just going to play the clip. It's self-explanatory. This is after this group of, this cavalcade of ghouls has been sitting around in this, like, this, these leather chairs and this, like, library-type setting talking about, you know, what they think was going on with the election. And, you know, again, with Prager being the one holdout who's not convinced if I believed the president were a Nazi, I might steal an election. If we were Germans in yes. the 1930s, we'd steal yes. the election from Hitler if, if we I'm, could. If I'm that indoctrinated, of course I can justify it. So we've already gone to Hitler. It's like 10 minutes into the movie and we've already gone all the way to Hitler. So, you know, why not? That's how, that's propaganda. There's no, there's no subtlety. It's all the way to, they think Trump is Hitler. So they were willing to do anything to stop Hitler. Okay, Sebastian Gorka. Sure. Okay, whatever. That's how nutty this is. And it doesn't get any better. So that's, yeah, I just wanted to play that because how insane that was. I also want to say very quickly that I was given a copy of this film. 
I did not bootleg it. Someone gave me a bootleg copy of it. That's a legal reason why I have to put that out there. So um, I'm a member of the press, so I'm allowed to uh, talk about and discuss with criticism and commentary something that is copyrighted as long as I didn't steal it. And to be completely honest, I don't even know how I would go about doing that. To begin with, I am barely holding on to the technology that I use to make this podcast. Now, this next clip is when we finally start to get into the actual point of this film, which this film takes a minute. It takes at least 20 minutes before they're actually starting to talk about, like, what the purpose of this conspiracy that they're supposedly uncovering. And this is classic in that it's supposed to look spontaneous when this is completely staged. And the other funny thing about the scene is the woman that you hear in this clip. It took me, like, twice of watching this. And like 45 minutes into the film, at least, if not an hour, before I realized this woman is Dinesh's wife. Because he, he just calls her Debbie. And they show this scene is them in their home. And she's spontaneously coming up with this idea that he should call this woman named Catherine. And they'll get down to why the, the election was stolen. It's so goofy. But yeah, he doesn't mention that this is, he doesn't introduce this character. It's just this woman just shows up. And he just calls her Debbie and that you realize that she's part of this whole election fraud situation. But he calls her like honey, like an hour into the movie. And I was like, what? And then I <laughs> Googled it. I was like, oh, that's his like second wife or third. I'm not sure how many wives he's been on, but he's been divorced. But this is his wife, Debbie, who we did. You know, why not? Don't tell us that. Just anyway, cl classic, brilliant filmmaking. Well, it looks like it. What does our friend Catherine think about all yeah. this? Catherine's been a little quiet, but I think that that means that they're working on something. I think that you should uh, give her a call and see what she thinks. Hi, I'm Catherine Engelbrecht, founder and president of True the Vote. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Hey, listen, I'm here with Debbie. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Debbie. You know how crazy it is out there. Um, have you guys been digging into this whole issue of voter fraud? Well, we have been working on something big. It's uh, probably best we don't discuss it over the phone, but can we meet? Uh, I've been working with uh, Greg Phillips. I don't know if I've ever introduced him to you, but he has a deep background in election intelligence. He's worked projects all over the world. He's a massive 30-year experience. Um, we decided to test a hypothesis, and we went uh, really big. And now uh, we have something that we think you're going to really want to see. Okay, so what cracks me up about that clip is that she goes, we can't really discuss this on the phone, but can we meet? And like, of course, with cameras on every, you know, on a set. <laughs> can't discuss this on the phone, but let's discuss this while we're being filmed by an entire crew. Hello. Hello, world. You know, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Okay, and that the whole like, do you know this man named Greg? Greg Phillips. Now I'm going to break this down. These are the characters. Greg Phillips. Um, he's not actually of True the Vote, but he works with True the Vote. So he was the guy in 2016 who claimed three million illegal immigrants cast votes in the election and Trump immediately picked that up. But of course, nobody could ever verify it because it didn't happen. And then there's no evidence. And then the name of his company is called OPSEC 
and it's supposed to do data analysis for True the Vote. He's also advisor to Get Georgia Right, a political action committee that received $500,000 from a Trump's Save America PAC. But he's kind of tried to deny that that happened. But, the, you know, there's paperwork that proves that it happened. So whatever. And then the second person that we just heard was Catherine, Catherine Engelbrecht, who's the executive director of True the Vote, which has been around since uh, 2010. And she said that these, this is her quote. Miss Engelbrink has said that the surge of mail-in voting in 2020 was part of a Marxist plot aided by billionaires, including George Soros and Mark Zuckerberg, to disrupt American elections rather than a legitimate response to a coronavirus pandemic. That's a quote from The New York Times. So, yeah, I mean, I always think it's funny. This is just me going on a riff that they always say billionaires are Marxist, because if you know anything about Marxism, no billionaire would want to be a Marxist because they'd lose all their wealth. I mean, like, why would a billionaire want Marxism? Because true Marxism would be the government-owning means of production and uh, private enterprises, companies would not exist. And no one would be allowed to be a billionaire under Marxism. But, you know, we don't need logic. We just say Marxism, say communism, say cultural Marxism and scare the bejesus out of a bunch of right-wingers. So we're about to get to the meat of this film. And again, Debbie, who we didn't know was Dinesh's wife until much later in the movie, for the most part, sits and just nods her head a lot. That's primarily what she does. Dinesh, this is all framed as Dinesh is just asking questions. Like he has no idea what they're about to uncover, which is so laughable because, of course, they all knew what they were about to Like, this was all planned. This isn't like... I just asked these people, then like made a documentary about it just spontaneously. And they're in this hilarious set, which is supposed to look like, again, you can't see it. So I'll describe it as best I can. It's supposed to look like this like industrial space full of computers, dark with like blinking lights everywhere behind them. Lots of screens, panels. They're at this like dark table sitting around just talking. And that's pretty much most of the film are four people sitting around this table nodding their heads as one of them speaks. It's riveting. And I'm being sarcastic. And, of course, um, they are uh, this man who's about to speak, let me remind you, made up a story that three million illegal immigrants voted, never provided any proof, just to add to his credibility issue here about what he's about to say. So you have an activist, the guy's name was McCray Dowless, and he worked for the Bladen Improvement Association, which was a kind of an African-American get voters to the polls, but apparently they were doing all kinds of vote harvesting, and he learned the strategy, then he broke with them, and he took his services to Mark Harris, a Republican, well, actually a pastor who was running, Correct. and Harris won. He pulled it off. In 40 years of doing this, we've seen this over and over again. Sometimes the schemes are a little bit different. Sometimes it's people out banging on doors, gathering ballots. Sometimes the ballots are sent here, gathered here, deposited there. But the trafficking itself is always the same basic pattern. Okay, I played that clip for an, a couple of reasons, because number one, Dinesh D'Souza has to work in this whole African-American thing, which doesn't make any sense. The person who got busted for ballot harvesting, and he was busted pretty much immediately after the election, was a Republican named Mark Harris. 
And this was in North Carolina. This was in 2018. And he had a whole operative where they were like illegally harvesting ballots and paying people for ballots. And uh, like I said, they were immediately caught doing this. It wasn't like years later, months later. It was during like the recount, I believe, because I think it was very close. I don't know a ton about this because I, I trust me, I could go down so many rabbit holes with this story. But the, the name of the man was Mark Harris. He was a Republican and he was immediately caught. Now, here's where we finally get to the point of this movie. Um, they're basically, I'm going to describe what they're talking about. They are talk, the main thing that they based this on was something called geolocation data from cell phones. And they misrepresent how this data is used and how accurate it is. And they misrepresent it throughout the entire movie. Um, and I'll just explain a little bit of that, and then you'll hear the clip and you'll know what I'm talking about. They, they just make up so much stuff in this movie that it's just provably, provably false. Many of the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th left digital footprints that law enforcement has used in making arrests. You're saying they must have known about these people before because some of those guys were arrested one day, three days, five days after January 6th. And that's not enough time to do the geo-tracking analysis. The very idea that you could go from the afternoon of January 6th to acquiring the data, tracking the data, unmask who actually owns that phone, which the government is required to do, and then get it to a grand jury, make an arrest in 72 hours? Impossible. It's, it's, Impossible. Not, it's not possible. They had to have been tracking the people in advance. But the fact of the matter is, these techniques are used every single day by law enforcement, the intelligence community, the Department of Defense. Okay, that's a huge leap. Now, they just go, oh, they, they, they arrested these people immediately because they were tracking them. <sighs> okay, they were, they were FBI informants throughout that whole, and I, I'm going to break this down because you'll hear this from your Trumper friends, your MAGA friends. Informant is not an agent. <laughs> an informant is someone who usually got in trouble for something and the FBI came to them and said, hey, we know you did this or this, this crime or that crime. And we know that you're working with this hate group that's going to storm the Capitol or whatever. You're, we know that you're working with this nefarious group. Can you... You know what? We'll give you a better deal on this crime if you inform on this group. And that's how they get informants. It's one of the ways they get informants. There's a number of different ways they can get informants. Some of them are paid. Most of them are not. Most of them are doing it as some type of deal to get out of trouble. So what the right wing does is they'll say an informant is an agent, an undercover agent. And that's not what an informant is. So the FBI had infiltrated pretty much all of these groups. Uh, it's amazing that they didn't really see... January 6th coming with as a whole other podcast, and I'm not going to go down that route. Oh, my goodness. I have friends that work in extremism who sat down with the FBI before January 6th, and Jared Holt is one of them. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, man. Please follow him, Jared Holt. Let me say his name again, Jared Holt. Um, and I know for a fact, because he's talked to me about it, that he discussed what they were finding as extremist um, uh, researchers in extremism and the chatter that they were hearing and the evidence that they were seeing. And they, he spoke to Department of Homeland Security and FBI, and they kind of patted him on the head and said, thank you very much. 
And well, we all know what happened. So again, many experts knew January 6th was coming and nobody listened to them. So, but what they imply in the film is that these people were being tracked by the federal government. I don't think that they were. Okay, so the premise of this entire movie of all of these quote-unquote mules is this group spent $2 million, um, this True the Vote spent $2 million on this data that pings basically cell phone data. So as you're driving around or walking around with your cell phone, any device connected to the internet, it will. if you're using an app, that app pings and it sends your information, your location, uh, basically out in the universe and people collect this data and they use it for marketing. It's kind of big brother. But the thing about this data is it's not very accurate. So it gets a rough idea of where you're at, but it doesn't, it cannot, it basically can't tell you what side of the street you're on. The experts that I read over and over and over again said maybe 100 feet from your location. And that may not sound like a lot, but what they're promoting in this movie is that they're seeing the same people going to drop boxes based on this data. So they claim like the average mule goes to a Dropbox like 28 times. Now, again, this data was collected for over a month from early October till the, to, to the election. So that's over a month. And they claim that like 28 times. Well, the problem is, is that because it's not accurate and because these uh, collection boxes, these drop boxes are in high traffic areas on purpose so people can find them and use them. It's going to come up that a lot of people are going by this area. It doesn't mean that they're going to a drop box. In some cases, these are people who work as um, poll workers. So, of course, you're going to see them at the drop box. And so how would you know? And the other thing that's freaky is if you have a cell phone, a laptop, a watch that's connected to the Internet, another phone for work, you're going to show up five times. So whatever device you have is connected to the internet is going to show up as a separate thing. doesn't mean it's a human being. So that's how crazy and bad this is. So they're basically, that's their premise. So in this next clip, Catherine Engelbrink is about to explain what a mule is, hence the title of the film, 2,000 Mules. And while they don't say it in this clip, a mule is described as someone who, a cell phone that went near a Dropbox more than 10 times and then a non-for-profit more than five times within this month period. That's what they consider a mule. A mule is, by our definition, a person that is involved in picking up ballots from locations and running them to the drop boxes. So you have the collectors on the one hand, you have the stash houses, which are the, the non-profits, and then you have the, the mules that are doing the drops. What do we know about them? Who are they? Well, first let me say, this is not grandma out walking her dog. Bad backgrounds, bad reputations. We've had, uh, you know, encounters with several that are, you know, not terribly positive. Violent guys. Can be. They are interested in one thing, that's money. Do we know, by the way, how much they get paid? According to the people that have shared information with us, it's generally $10 a ballot. In the, in the Georgia runoff, that number was higher. 2020, of course, was the year of the Antifa riots, the BLM riots, and it was all going on in the months and weeks leading up to the election. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack out of that very short clip. Number one, where do you get a ballot? Where do you get a ballot? Because they're tied to an individual. So we'll go down that rabbit hole later. 
Number two, they never at any point in this film prove that any single human being was paid to be a mule. Not once. They show no paper trail of anybody being paid. They have really no testimony of anybody being paid. There's two anonymous uh, sources that they use, whistleblowers sort of, who give vague statements. Neither one of them has any proof that a single human being was being paid to do this. Okay, and then third, this Antifa craziness, this violent protesters. Now, this is a lot to unpack. So while a guest on the Dan Bongio show, this is what Phillips said. What True the Vote did was they took the cell phone data on the mules and matched it against ACLED data on the rioters. And guess what? There was a pretty big overlap. Now, ACLED is a group called Armed Conflict Location and Even Data Project. ACLED uh, basically tracks violent protesters, and I don't, they don't care what political leanings a person has. If you are a violent protester, they keep track of that, basically. Um, and they also cite ACLD in another point in the film where they basically say there was dozens upon dozens upon dozens of mules who were in this database that ACLED has. So the ACLED found out about this and they were like, oh yeah, you're completely misrepresenting our work. Uh, what are you talking about, basically? And uh, they're quoted, the NPR interviewed them and talked to them at length, and they said, this is a statement. ACLED does track violent incidents around the world, including riots, as well as peaceful protests. Their data do not include specific locations inside a city, such as a neighborhood or city blocks where protests took place. ACLD does not track the time of day of those incidents or generally not individual participants, except for high-profile leaders. You can hear a siren behind me. I live in Brooklyn, so be not alarmed that that's no ACLD coming for me. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But most likely they are completely misrepresenting what they did and they're just trying to scare with people by saying these people are Antifa. What's also funny and hilarious is they claim to have four million minutes worth of surveillance video, which they got mostly from Atlanta, from Georgia, actually, but the Atlanta area. But they're saying that they got four million minutes of video surveillance footage. They show a handful of clips in this film, a handful. <laughs> and none of the people in these clips looks remotely scary. <laughs> it's like, do 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 I'm dropping off the ballots. There's like a woman in flip-flops at one point. There's one guy, and the first guy they show is like a tall black man who looks totally, tor perfectly normal, who just like <laughs> strolls up to the ballot, slips like what looks like maybe five, about maybe four or five ballots, not a huge number. Nobody, by the way, in this film has a huge number of ballots ever. Never. It's, it, 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 you know, most you have like five or six. So they show, the first guy they show is a black man and it's like, oh my God. And you're like, what? Like, he's a, he's a tall black man? Is that what you're freaking out? Because like, I, he's dressed totally, like, casually. <laughs> nothing scary about this man whatsoever. He just gets out of his car, walks over to the ballot box, do-do-do, and like walks back to his car. That's it. And they're like, oh my God. Now to really sell this concept, they claimed that data like this solved a cold case, a cold murder case. That is not true. 
There was an eight-year-old who was shot in a parking lot and they couldn't find the killers. And in the filmmakers show a map and they showed pings and dots on the map and say, see, look, we looked this up and we found this pattern and we found these two individuals and then they were arrested and this cold case that everyone had given up on was solved. It's just not true. So reporters in multiple sources, again, uh, I had this all over the place. They contacted law enforcement. They contacted the FBI. They contacted the lawyer of the young murder victim's family. And they all said, nope, nobody contacted us. That was the claims that they're making. We had indictments on two men that we found two months before anybody from True the Vote claimed they did anything. So that, I don't know what to say other than that is just misleading and a not a true statement. So the NPR reporter uh, confronted Engelbrecht about it. And she said, because she had claimed that she'd talked to the FBI, and Engelbert said, I will not provide names of the FBI agents as I do not want them to be harassed. Okay, I'm going to share my own personal experience here because this is very specific. When I was working on the project where I was researching the Proud Boys, specifically Gavin McInnes, I had to contact the FBI about three times. It was all with footage of Gavin McInnes. Now, never once did anyone give me their name. They give you a badge number. Now, if you get very, very deep into a case, they might give you their name, but I seriously doubt if you just went, we have this geo-tracking data, we think we found these murderers, that you would be having sit down meeting. They just don't do that. They just say, give us your stuff, and then you might hear back from them. You probably Now I want to get into a map issue in this film. Most of this movie are four people sitting around a table talking and nodding, but they do use these visuals throughout the movie, and they're pretty funny because there's a lot of problems with them. Um, they also show a lot of maps and a lot of them are on iPads or on screens behind them or the whole screen will become a map and there's lights on it and little grids and all this fun stuff. Now, a Twitter user called Angry Fleas noticed that the dots on the maps that the Phillips claimed were drop boxes weren't at the location of drop boxes. The account, uh, Angry Fleas, took images of maps from the film and superimposed them over maps of the area that was supposed to represent drop boxes and it didn't line up in some cases they're close but they weren't where drop boxes were located then a bunch of online sleuths went deeper into it and this is where it really gets crazy a map that was supposed to represent Ginnett county in atlanta had a river in it and there's no river in that county so people went what the heck is that and i cannot make this up this is from washington post the map is of moscow in russia <laughs> no no kidding <laughs> it's a map of moscow in russia and later in the film they flipped it on a 90 degree angle and called it another city now when confronted about this he said that the movie graph this is philip said the movie graphics are not a literal interpretation of our data and then they so back to the surveillance film that's used throughout this movie. They keep claiming every time they show it that it proves illegal activity when it does not. In Georgia, where most of this footage is from, it's perfectly legal to drop off ballots for a family member. Now, since this movie has come out, uh, election officials tracked down a couple people featured in the film. And one was a man who was dropping off a ballot for himself, his wife, and their four adult children, 
which is 100% perfectly legal. In 31 states, it is legal to drop off a ballot for someone other than yourself, which of course they don't mention in this film. Now this next clip is absolutely ridiculous. This, the clip speaks for itself. I don't even know how to describe it. Here are election officials pulling out of that drop box two full duffel bags containing over 1,900 ballots. So I just want to describe this clip because you can't see it. It's basically two official looking people who are in like a uniform type of situation go up to a ballot box and they take the ballots out and they put them in these very specific looking bags that are zipped up and have like a lock type thing on them and they escort them away. Now, how is that nefarious? Because are the ballots supposed to just live in the ballot box forever? They're not allowed to take them out? You know, that that's just crazy. That they're like, they're taking the ballots out. <gasps> you know, I mean, literally, they freak out. In the next clip, I, again, I wish you could see this. I wish you could see this. I'm just gonna describe it as best I can after you play it. But as she approaches the drop box, she never looks at the trash can, right? She's looking the other way. But the other thing she has is she has gloves on. What one of our analysts noticed was these surgical gloves only appeared from December 23rd forward in the runoff. So we didn't see a lot of them previous to December 23rd. And we couldn't figure out why. And then it just dawned on us, well, on December 22nd, there was an indictment handed down in Arizona for people that had stuffed ballots and the way the FBI nailed them was fingerprints. So that is not true. They did not nail these two women in Arizona by fingerprints. They just didn't. Um, they were actually identified by witnesses. I saw the two men who identified them on One American News Network. And what had happened was these women had dropped off two ballots, two, besides their own, for other people. And that's illegal in Arizona, unless you're a relative. And that was it. And they tried to make a really big deal out of it. And it seemed more like an accident on the part of the two women who just didn't know the law. That's it. So, um, and then what also you see in this clip is that the woman's wearing latex gloves. She drops off the ballot. She turns around and throws the gloves in a trash can. And they try to make a lot out of the fact that she, they claim that she didn't see the trash can. She didn't look for it and because she, she knew it was there. It's such a stretch. And this woman who drops off the, the ballots and it looks like she has a small amount of ballots is about as threatening as my cat, my kitten. Actually, Thor's kind of a, he's kind of crazy. But anyway, she does not, I mean, she looks like a suburban mom. She's wearing like Crocs. It's now, this is one of a handful of clips of innocuous looking people going up to a drop box and putting a, a ballot in a drop box. That's it. What they do not show at any time in this film is someone going to multiple drop boxes or someone repeatedly going back to the same drop box. Now you'd think with 4 million minutes worth of footage that they'd have an example of that, but they don't. And they claim that they do have it, they just didn't include it in the film. Now I don't know why you wouldn't include that in the film. Because, I mean, it's just so laughable. You can't just show footage of like suburbanites going up to a thing and like just sliding a ballot into a 600 pound ballot drop box that's more secure than a post box and acting like this is like some nefarious thing because that's all they show. That's that's the freaking evidence in this movie. That's it. This geotracking data that's not accurate, maps of Moscow that they claim are Atlanta 
And then just innocuous clips of people who look completely harmless going up to, to, to drop boxes. That's it. That's the whole damn movie. Let me show you Dog Guy. So Dog Guy, middle of the day, this is actually at a polling place. So the people in line are waiting to go in and vote early. They're doing it the right way. Okay, now, now you've got some other people going to walk up. This lady doesn't care, but this guy, this next guy cares. He's watching the whole thing. The so guy looks up, talks to him. Got the ballots under his arm already. Now he's got the rest that he pulled out of the bag. And he's going to get his camera ready to take the pictures as he puts them in there. If you consider the brazenness of this, right? This is the middle of the day. There's people sitting there watching you cheat. But so what actually happens in that clip is a guy has a dog. He walks up to the Dropbox. He has a little bag that he has strapped on himself and he takes a bag off and he pulls out what looks like maybe three ballots. I mean, it's not a large number. And he puts them in the ballot box, which is not cheating. <laughs> and that's not illegal. And actually this other person that looks at him and talks to him, it doesn't look like much of any confrontation. And then the guy takes a picture of the ballot uh, Dropbox, but plenty of people take pictures of the voting after they vote. I know several people that do that. So big deal. People take pictures of an ice cream cone. I mean, they whatever. That's the world we live in. And then right as he leaves, the dog boy, as they call him, the dog guy, a woman walks up and just puts one ballot in. So, but that's not a big deal. So again, never at any point do they show someone putting in a excessive large amount of ballots into a Dropbox. They never show a single person going to multiple drop boxes and they never show someone going back repeatedly to the same drop box. I've said that before. I'm saying it again because it kind of destroys the entire premise of the movie. They never show anything like that. It's just one person going to a drop box. You never see the person again. And they're trying to claim that that's illegal when it's not. The filmmakers also try to make a big deal out of people in assistant living and nursing homes who vote. And uh, I used to play music at a nursing home in Port Chester, New York for years. I actually witnessed this at one point. And when I saw it, it was always people who were cognitively with it. I'm sure that there have been isolated incidents where someone wasn't and a, somebody who worked at the nursing home filled out their ballot. I'm sure that's happened. But I don't think it accounts for the 400,000 ballots that the filmmakers claim are nefarious or were somehow harvested illegally. And that is the number again, 400,000 ballots with no real proof. So the biggest problem with this entire movie is the premise that anyone can just go get a blank absentee ballot. And that's not how it works. Each ballot is sort of attached to a voter. You may not see your name on it, but there is a way that polling officials can tell that it's a legitimate ballot. Now, ballots would be sent to the wrong address. Ballots would also be sent to someone who has passed away because it would take a while to have a death certificate and eventually get to getting scrubbed from a voter roll, of course. But how do these non-for-profits get a hold of these ballots? Think about it. Even if they had a list of every single voter in Georgia, for instance, and then they did an educated guess on who had passed away or who might be at the wrong address, which that would be very tricky to figure out. Then they would have to go out and somehow try to get these ballots. 
And how would they do that? They, they say in the film that they would go door to door, and that is just flat out laughable. If you've ever canvassed for uh, a, you know, a candidate, you'll find out <laughs> that no one answers their door to a stranger. <laughs> very, very low rate of success when you knock on a stranger's door. Very, very low. Then you'd be expecting this stranger to have kept the ballot, know where the ballot is, and then be willing to give it to you, someone they don't know. Now, you could probably make up a premise. I'm here from the city. We're collecting, you know, ballots that were sent to the wrong place. And the person might buy that. But I kind of doubt that they would. And I think most people wouldn't, like, know where the ballot was, wouldn't be able to find it, and wouldn't want to give it to you. Because it would be a felony to commit uh, a crime here with, with a ballot. So I looked up Paul Gronke because he was... Um, quoted in Reuters. And this is, I'm going to break it down of why this, he was incredibly critical of this film. So we go, number, he is from the Elections and Voting Information Center. Number one, you would first need a falsified ballot with a unique barcode printed on special paper with a special envelope. Two, you need to successfully forge the voter's signature. Three, you need to deposit the envelope and have it validated by a local official. Four, if you are able to do all of these steps, I've, you've just committed a felony and now need to figure out how to do that thousands of times in different jurisdictions with different ballot style and different ballot materials. So again, unless you can match that signature, there's no way you can, if you got an extra ballot somehow, that you could fake that you were that voter. They also lied about where they used their computers. They claimed that they used high, several high-powered computers. Then they claimed that they did most of the work in Plano, Texas, and part of the work at a high-performance computer center on the campus of Starkville, Mississippi, which is Mississippi State. When NPR reached out to Mississippi State, they basically said they, they um, Phillips rented space in a building near the facility he claimed he worked in, and that it appeared to be used sporadically if at all. So that's another one. So there was just how many lies are in this Fumi that just are easy to debunk. So to recap, they claim they helped solve a murder when they did not, <laughs> just flat out didn't. They claim to talk to the FBI. The FBI says, no, you didn't. Then they say that Antifa, they linked all these people to Antifa, the group that they claimed that they use their database said, you did not use our information. That's not what we do. Then they claimed that all these people that were committing crimes on the surveillance video, they did not show that. They just showed people walking up to a drop box. Part of what evidence they tried to use is that people voted late at night. That means absolutely nothing as well. I do grocery shopping at four o'clock in the morning because I have a weird schedule because I watch Tucker Carlson and then spend three hours cutting up one of his episodes. So none of this adds up to anything and they still can't prove any of this. They literally cannot prove any of this. They cannot prove that anybody paid a mule to do this. They had two anonymous sources who did not show their face, who clearly didn't even say anything. One woman said she thought people were being paid. That's the best they could get. And that's it. I mean, that's, there's nothing in this movie, but people who are diehard MAGA, who just want this reality to be true, will look at these clips, these like literally like six clips of suburbanites walking up to a Dropbox and dropping off a ballot and thinking that this is adding up to something. Now, at the very end of this film, they go back to the cavalcade of ghouls 
And these far right wingers all kind of put their input in. And I, the clip would be too long if I played the whole thing. But Prager, the one skeptic at the beginning of the film, is now convinced. And he says, yes, you're correct. And I will fight the left with everything, every fiber of my being. But I'm going to play a short clip, which includes Gorka, Charlie Kirk, and Larry Elder. I predict right now they will say, what on earth is a conservative doing tracking private citizens? Gee, how dare he? What is Dinesh D'Souza doing to voters at 3 a.m.? In fact, I mean, th that'll be part the of intimidation it. Intimidation will be the word. Right. The word will be intimidation. They'll say no person is safe. Communities of color are being tracked. People like in black neighborhoods are now going to have to fear for their life that their cell phone pings will be paired. And this is, this is Jim Crow 2.0, Dinesh. I disagree that this is not going to be compelling enough. This is a smoking gun. This is O.J. Simpson being seen leaving the scene of the crime. I don't care how partisan you are. You can't dismiss all of this. How do you explain somebody going to a whole bunch of different drop boxes with a whole bunch of different ballots on the same night at 3.57 a.m. in the morning? How do you explain that? Okay, I'm just going to point out that that is never shown in the film. You never actually see what Larry Elders just described. You never see a person going to more than one drop box. You never see a person going back to the same Dropbox, you never see a person with a large amount of ballots. So none of that actually exists in the film. None of it. So that's 2000 Mules. That's my take on it. It's all a bunch of nonsense. And I'm so sorry if a friend, relative, spouse, coworker, acquaintance, or neighbor <laughs> has bought into this. But now you won't. So that is the whole point of this channel. It, again, if you have to confront one of these people that's deep, deep, deep into MAGA world, do it gently because it's the best way to get to them. If you try to come at them confrontationally, you won't get anywhere. And sometimes you can't get anywhere. But my hope is that the more we empower each other with knowledge and truth, we will break through this horrible nightmare of disinformation. Thank you so much for listening. This is the longest podcast I've ever done, but there was a lot to ground, ground to uncover. And I'm doing my regular podcast every Monday and newsletter at Decoding Fox News. You can also find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook under my real name, which is linked to my Twitter account at Decoding Fox News. And again, Odin and Thor send their love. Thank you so much.